And welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Varza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hello, Roxanne. How are you? Good. So we are back with a great lineup of topics for this week, including European tech exits, which hit a record of 40 billion euros in Q3 of 2016. We have a few new European funds that have launched, particularly in France and Spain. So we'll take a look at those. A few startups announced funding this week, including SmartFog, Content Square, and Navia. Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Adblocks Plus, so we'll take a listen to that. And finally, we'll wrap it up with a look at what European entrepreneurs Martin Varsovsky is doing with his new project, Prelude Fertility. So let's jump in with European tech exits. For Q3 of 2016, tech exits in Europe hit 40 billion euros, which is phenomenal and a record high. But it's in large part due to one single deal. So that's SoftBank's takeover of UK-based ARM for roughly 29 billion euros. And that comprises more than half of the total exit volume for this quarter. According to tech.eu data, this is a 113% increase from Q3 of last year. But obviously, Obviously, without the ARM deal, this number falls to 11 billion euros, which is just over half of what we did last year. So um, if we take out the ARM deal, in fact, it looks like exit volume has actually been on the decline since the beginning of 2016. There was 24 billion in Q1, 22 billion in Q2, and now Q3 without the ARM deal falls to 11 billion. So behind ARM, the runner-up exit for Q3 was Israeli games company Playtica, which was sold to a Chinese company for $4 billion. What I also found interesting was that in the top 20 exits of Q3, obviously the UK is very well represented. Uh, six of the exits were British, but then every quite a few countries like Sweden, Germany, Denmark, France, Israel, they each had quite a few acquisitions as well. One acquisition that I was actually unaware of and didn't expect to see was from Austrian company Best Gaming Technology, and they were acquired for 138 million euros. Yes, well, thank you for uh, highlighting our report. It seems like almost every single time you produce uh, one of these quarterly reports on funding or exits in Europe, uh, we find that a couple of deals clearly stand out and kind of skew the numbers. So that happens for both funding and exits. Uh, It's not that unusual for a deal like the ARM1 to have such a significant impact on the overall number. And someone commented to me this week that the deal actually shouldn't count at all because ARM is not a startup. But I think that's a bit of a misconception about what we do. Uh, What we really track is tech exits, um, as we call the report. It's not tech startup exits. It also allows us to compare apples to apples, because if we would include, you know, hardware and semiconductor firms uh, one quarter and we wouldn't do the other, then we can't really compare. And I also think it's important to highlight global leaders uh, such as ARM when they are built. This is a company that's really been very significant in the industry, built out of Cambridge. So so I'd like to include them if I I can and also include them in the statistics when they are sold. I think that's only fair. But anyway, about the report, what I found very uh, jarring is that due to the massive size of the ARM deal, um, if you take it out of the equation, just for argument's sake, it gives us some additional insights on whether it was a good quarter or not. And it's very, very clear to say that it wasn't. In fact, we had to go back quite a while, uh, I think, to Q2 2014 to have uh, a lower quarter. Um, and, and I think we have to go back a few years for for a decline as much as we've seen this year. 
Um, we've already seen a drop in funding in the past quarter as well. Uh, and now exit volume that drops down to levels we haven't seen in years almost. Um, it should be cost for concern, although it might also be you know, sort of a, a temporary trend. But it is following the trend that we also see in the US and, and Asia even. So, you know, we have to something something that we should keep looking at at least. Um, but then on the flip side, it looks like we're about to have another acquisition in Europe in the coming days, actually, that will blow even the ARM deal out of the water. As it was reported today that Qualcomm is apparently very, very close to announcing a deal to buy the Netherlands-based semiconductor firm uh, NXP in a deal that could be worth more than $37 billion. So if that deal happens, and it's very likely that it will, then that's another big one that's going to see the numbers in the next quarter. So, um, But as long as these big deals uh, happen, the top line numbers will appear to be decent and we will have more records being broken. But indeed, it's worth taking a closer look at the actual digital companies and the startup exits to see how well Europe is actually performing. So we'll do that in the coming months, I guess. Yeah, and I think uh, obviously it's interesting to see that it's declining, but there's still some really big deals happening that are kind of keeping us up there. So we'll be interested to see how uh, this Netherlands deal goes forward. Now, I feel like there's a new wave of venture funds in Europe. Obviously, we've talked about you know different funds like Felix Capital or Local Globe in the UK. Uh, in the past week, we had two new funds in France and Spain that were announced. So in France, the fund is Daphne, uh, which was co-founded by Mary Eklund. A uh, well-known French investor, she's best known for her investment in publicly listed Criteo. Uh, they announced that they closed $156 million for their first fund. Uh, Mary actually left her previous fund, Alaya Partners, about two years ago. And at the time, she said her new fund would likely have $100 million under management. So this is clearly an amount that surpasses what the kind of original goal was. The fund is an early stage. They'll be investing between 300 k and $3 million into various deals. LPs look kind of like pretty standard LP names that we see in France, BPI France, Fnac Darty, a couple of banks like Credit Mutual or Société Générale, um, and a number of other ones. They've also capped LP co-investments. So if Nokia puts in 10 million into the fund, Nokia cannot invest more than 10 million into a given deal. And alongside Daphne, we had Madrid-based K-Fund, which announced that it closed a 50 million fund dedicated to the Spanish market. The fund has actually already done three investments, including a clinic supplies marketplace called Salupro, an energy management startup called Lucera, and a social app called Hooks, all based in Spain. The fund is looking to back roughly 20 to 25 companies in the upcoming year, primarily early stage, but they say they'll also be doing a lot of follow-on deals. They have a great team, including Jaime Navoa, who used to work for Tech.eu. And I'm sure we'll be seeing additional funds pop up around Europe. In fact, rumor has it that One Ragtime, which is a pan-European fund co-founded by Stephanie Hospital, she used to run M&A for Orange in France, that fund should be launching in mid-November. Yes, very interesting trend. Uh, obviously, we're never going to cover any investment made by K-Fund because they stole Jaime away from us. So that's a no-no. Um, and Jaime, if you're, if you're listening, you can always come back. The door is always open. But no, so on the one hand, it's encouraging that we have new funds continuing to pop up all across Europe. Um, it seems like access to capital has historically been an issue for entrepreneurs in Europe, and that's no longer the case, thanks to increased activity from established VCs, but also competition for deals from new, smaller, and often nimbler and faster-moving investment firms. 
that make for an overall healthier and more mature ecosystem. Um, so I don't think for early stage companies, it's much of a problem these days to find um, sources of funding, whether it's VC or crowdfunding or, you know, angel lists or, you know, the, the various subsidies or public funding that's available. So for early stage companies, there isn't really much of a problem anymore. Now, on the other hand, we also know, and the data tells us as much, is that there's not really a shortage in early stage capital anymore in Europe, but in Europe, the gap is really where uh, growth funding comes in. So the kind of cash that's needed for scale-ups to really flourish and become global leaders in their field. Talking about Series C, um, might be able to find in, in Europe Series D and up is becoming harder and harder. Um, that kind of money is still hard to come by, even in established markets like France and Spain. Uh, and founders often need to look to the US or Asia to access these large amounts of capital to grow. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this, but it's clear that funds like K-Fund and Daphne are not going to fill this gap in any way, shape or form. Uh, so they're very welcome. More sources for cash for promising early stage tech startups in Europe is always welcome, uh, especially when it's smart money or at least coming from experienced entrepreneurs and executives. So that can be a bad thing. Uh, on a side note, I bumped into Marie at a policy dinner in Brussels earlier this week. And I asked her about uh, the Daphne Fund, how it will be different from all the other ones. And she actually showed me on her phone how her team is going to approach investments and co-investments. Very community-driven approach, a custom-built application that's very you know, community-driven uh, that I found incredibly intriguing. Uh, and I will be in Paris next month. And we've actually scheduled a meeting with her team so I can learn more about uh, what she's already showed me on the phone, which I found quite impressive, to be fair. Yeah, um, looks like they've kind of built a community of a number of experienced entrepreneurs and people in the community. They're calling them Daphne Politans. Um, and I, I'm part of, I'm part of that group. So also if I hear of anything going on on that end, I'll keep you posted, Armin. But now we have a ton of startups, obviously, that are announcing funding with all these new funds. And we wanted to highlight a few this week, including SmartFog, Content Square, and Navia. So first, Dublin and Berlin-based IoT startup SmartFog announced a 20 million euro round of funding this past week. The company launched roughly a year ago and has already pulled in 28 million to date. So that's, that's not bad. The company produces a camera and application that completes with the likes of Next. So in other words, they let consumers add home surveillance and smart home functionalities to their smartphones. Investors in this deal included previous backers, e-ventures and target ventures, and a number of additional unnamed backers. It's a rather young company, but they say they've already got users in 130 countries and have a staff of 60 people. Yeah, definitely one to watch. And I hadn't heard of it before. And I actually hadn't heard about France-based Content Square either. Uh, they announced this week that they also raised uh, 20 million euros from Highland Europe. Uh, that's a fund that we've highlighted a few times in the past. They do mostly uh, higher rounds. So the growth capital that we mentioned earlier, uh, they've backed European successes like uh, Talentsoft, Get Your Guide, Retransfer, and Matches Fashion. Now, Content Square is interesting. It develops an AI-powered platform that measures user behavior online and on mobile, uh, like mouse movement, screen movements, interaction, that sort of thing. And that information is then used to help improve engagement and conversion. So it's something that I think is going to be even more interesting as you know, usage jumps across the world. Um, we've talked about AI companies in Europe and that they seem to be doing quite well uh, lately. And there's a renewed interest from investors as well, clearly. Um, now, Content Square has international offices in New York and they will be launching in Germany next year. So keep an eye on that one. 
Yeah. And finally, we had another French company that announced funding, and that's Navia. It's a Lyon-based company that raised 30 million euros to roll out its electric driverless vehicles. The French company was founded in 2014. They already have backing from companies like Valeo and SNCF and a Qatari-based group called Group 8. They said that they're developing a 100% autonomous vehicle. We've actually covered other French companies developing electric driverless vehicles uh, not too long ago, actually, on the podcast. So that's Toulouse based Easy Mile, which is currently testing cars on the streets of Helsinki. Looks like that's uh, quite a few good companies raising funds, but not the only ones. Um, so these were the three that we wanted to highlight this week. Now, Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Till Fida, co-founder and CEO of German company behind ad blocking software Adblock Plus. Hey, this is Robin, and I'm here at the Bits and Pretzels conference in Munich, Germany. And I'm here with a German entrepreneur, Till Fida, who's the founder and CEO of IO. Is a Cologne-based uh, company, pretty well known for being uh, behind Adblock Plus, one of the most popular ad blocking softwares in the world. Um, how's it going, Till? Pretty good. It's uh, an awesome event. And you've been in the news quite a lot recently with Adblock Plus. Um, tell us some of the recent announcements you've made. Well, this year we announced the launch of two new products. Uh, the first one is called Flutter Plus, which is going to be the very first payment system for the entire web that automatically works everywhere without any friction for the user. So as a user, you can decide how much the content on the web is worth to you. And then this money is automatically distributed to content creators and publishers based on your engagement on those sites. And the latest announcement we've made was the launch of a new platform for our acceptance ads program. Acceptable ads basically aims to find a balance between great user experience and monetization opportunities for publishers. So we're helping publishers to show alternative, less intrusive ads to people that have opted out of seeing traditional ads by installing an ad blocker. And this new platform makes it much easier for publishers to implement acceptable ads so that this entire program becomes much more scalable. In the past, it was still a very manual effort, which was okay because we've been working with largest publishers worldwide but now that the program has been validated we're now ready to scale it up and uh, this platform that was developed by one of our partners is going to help us to make sure every publisher out there has the ability to show better ads that actually are accepted by the users and not just an annoyance got it um now a lot of publishers have embraced this others haven't. There's been a lot of back and forth between these publishers. You've been on stage just today uh, with two of them that I don't think are customers yet. So where do you think this discrepancy stems from? Like, Why are some publishers embracing this and others really against it and even trying to fight you? I think that is always the case with innovation. Some people embrace it and they see the opportunity in change and disruption. Others rather want to maintain the status quo. And I think when it comes to innovation in, in advertising, what has been lacking in the past couple of years is a focus on the user. And this is what we stand for with our Acceptable Ads program is user-friendly innovation, which I feel is, is absolutely needed in the marketplace. Some embrace it. Others see this rather as a threat, but I think down the road, those companies that focus on a great user experience first, they will have a huge competitive advantage over those companies that want to monetize their users at any cost. Right. Um, so two big product launches already this year. Can you lift the veil about what's coming next? 
Well, first, we have to get both products out of beta. So there's there's still a lot of work ahead of us. And then we are also going to focus um, very much on our mobile products. We have our own browser called Adblock Browser. We also have apps for iOS and Android. And we're going to have some, some exciting new updates on those products so that people can block ads both on desktop, but also on mobile devices. So you're becoming a company with quite a portfolio of different products. Um, are all of them seeing the traction that you like them to see or are any of them stumbling a little bit or how's that working out? Um, I think mobile is more fragmented. So on mobile, we don't have just one product like on the desktop. It's just AppLock Plus on mobile. We have apps for multiple mobile browsers. We have our own browser. So it's just a bit more fragmented, more spread out. Um, also, people still don't know yet that ad blocking on mobile is a thing. So um, there's still a lot of potential for us to grow, especially on mobile. But even though we have now a portfolio of different products, they all address the same problem. And that is, we want to empower our users to have control over their browsing experience. And at the same time, we want to work with publishers on more user-friendly monetization methods. So whatever we do, we're always tackling the same problems. Great. Um, well, speaking of mobile and ad blocking, there was quite some debate, um, I think earlier this year, about network level blocking. Um, Talco, so how do you see the evolution there? From what I've heard from the news, there's going to be some regulation on an EU level that is going to prohibit that. I think network level ad blocking is not necessarily what we think ad blocking should stand for, and that is empowering the user. So whenever it comes to blocking ads without the consent of the user, I think that is crossing a line. So for us, it is very important whenever an ad gets blocked then it should have been a choice by the user to do so. Well, maybe as a final question, uh, give us some basics about the company. How many people are you now? Um, are you profitable? Uh, where are you based? Uh, are you opening new offices? Uh, how's it going? We are profitable. Uh, we are now a team of 70 people. Before the end of the year, I hope that we'll be uh, 80 people. Um, we just opened up a second office in Berlin and our headquarter is uh, based in Cologne. Great. Well, Till, thank you very much for taking the time and best of luck. Thank you, Roman. Now, entrepreneur Martin Varsovsky, who is mainly known for having launched Spanish company Fawn, has just launched a new company in the U.S. So uh, Prelude Fertility has just announced it has raised $200 million in funding to stop the biological clock. That's a quote, according to an article in Forbes. Uh, the company apparently plans to tackle in vitro fertilization and egg freezing and take these practices mainstream. Obviously, Varsovsky seems to have a personal story that has him interested in this cause. But what's really interesting to me is that I feel like a push for this technology is really coming largely from the U.S. and not from Europe. We've seen U.S. companies like Apple and Facebook encouraging and even paying their female employees to freeze their eggs. Robin, I'm wondering if you have seen any European companies tackle this topic and if you think European companies will sync with Apple and Facebook and encouraging their female employees to freeze their eggs. I wish I knew, but I have no idea. I have to admit, I know very little about the topic. But what I do know is that Martin has been very active on Facebook since he left his operational role at Fun some time ago. And he will often talk about egg freezing, why it can change lives. He'll share research or interesting articles about the subject, etc. So the only thing I do know is thanks to Martin. But you can tell from his post that he's extremely passionate about it. He already has a, a, a lot of kids himself. Uh, and you can see that he's, it's something that he cares a lot about. He's obviously um, 
build successful businesses before. So starting these companies, these kinds of companies, raising a ton of money, something that he has a history of. I'm looking forward to seeing how he does with Prelude, which is kind of outside the usual tech sphere. Um, so we'll see. Uh, in Europe, I haven't seen the topic of egg freezing come up in conversations much, uh, especially not in a professional context. Um, I'm completely in the dark about how Europeans tend to feel about that, uh, what the relevant customs and laws are, which companies have taken action on it, let alone a stance, and so on. So, so the only thing I do know is that I don't know uh, much about the topic. Uh, I would love to learn more, uh, especially about the reason why Martin actually decided not to set up his new company in Europe, but set it up in the United States instead. Um, and perhaps it's also worth highlighting in this regard uh, Clue, uh, which is a Berlin startup, uh, also venture-backed. Uh, they help women track their menstrual and fertility cycles through an application that has millions of users around the globe now. Um, and they've been backed by the likes of Mosaic Ventures and, and Union Square Ventures. So um, I'm also looking forward to seeing how far they can take that particular venture. And voila, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed it and that you'll listen again next week. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes and tell all your friends. You can follow Roxanne. Uh, she's at Roxanne Barza on Twitter. I'm at Robin Walters. And last but not least, we're tech.eu at tech underscore EU on Twitter. Thank you for listening uh, and have a great week. Thank you, Roxanne. Bye. Thanks, Robin. Bye.